From NBC5 and the Dallas Morning News, this is the Lone Star Politics Podcast. I'm Chris Blake. The second and third largest cities in North Texas both have new mayors after runoff elections Saturday. Maddie Parker defeated Deborah Peoples in the race to replace Fort Worth Mayor Betsy Price, who opted not to seek re-election after 10 years in office. And in Arlington, Jim Ross beat out Michael Glaspie. Ross replaces Jeff Williams, who could not run again because of term limits. Later in the podcast, Julie Fine and Gromer Jeffers turn their attention back to the Texas legislature, which wrapped up last week after a tumultuous last couple days. But first, here they are with Maddie Parker before breaking down other races from across North Texas. Maddie Parker joins us with a look ahead at her leadership plans for Cowtown. Mayor-elect, thank you so much for joining us. Great to, great to be with you. Thank you so much for being here. I know it was a late night, so we appreciate it. Fort Worth is now the 12th largest city in the country. So what unique challenges is the city facing that need to be addressed quickly? Are we talking safety? Are we talking streets? What needs to be done immediately? Yes and yes, Julie, and also just a focus on our economy. I've talked a lot about that. You know, across the country, understand businesses, um, companies, cities are all pivoting and what it looks like to be stronger after COVID-19. And I've said over and over again that for Texas is positioned for greatness. Our number one focus has to be on a booming economy here. That's small businesses, entrepreneurism, and of course, the next corporate re relocation success stories based here in Fort Worth. So I'm very bullish on our city. You won by uh, the race by six points. So how do you get buy-in from those people who didn't vote for you? Uh, that was about 41,000 voters. So how do you bring everybody together? I talked a lot about that last night when I addressed our supporters that were there with us. Um, we, our number one responsibility is to unite this city. Look, we're not always going to agree on all the issues, but to be an effective mayor or a leader on the council, you have to be a consensus builder. I acknowledge I have one vote on council. So my job is to listen to the entire community, north, south, east, and west, understand what is best to help Fort Worth families feel successful and secure in their city. And I know I can do that. I mean, that's what I've done my entire career. Um, it'll take a lot of intention, honestly, Gromer, over the coming weeks and months as I take on the new role, getting to know our new council members and congratulations to them. We have a new council that I'm excited to work with. Um, but for every individual that didn't see me as their mayor, I look forward to earning their respect and focus and actions speak louder than words. And of course, Maddie, you, you step into a, a potential volatile situation because the killing of a Tatiana Jefferson sparked old wounds across the city. What do you see your role as mayor-elect in trying to address the tensions between the black community and police? Well, the number one thing I just want to remind people is that this is a, is a really critical time for the entire community to work together and listen to one another. What a painful moment in our history when Tatiana died in her own home. That trial is upcoming. The first responsibility we have is to each other, to listen closely, working with our district attorney's office, because at this point, the city has no control. Um, how that trial will take place, the city needs to understand very clearly what the trial will look like. Um, I know that we have city leaders that have already been working at a grassroots level across Fort Worth. That'll be a very big priority in the summer months to work across our community at a grassroots level to help people understand how we as a city are going to learn and move forward and make sure it never happens again in our city. We have to learn from the death of Tatiana Jefferson, make sure her name and her family have a legacy that lives on. And I look forward to also meeting with her family, understanding more about who Tatiana was because her death is still incredibly painful for her entire family. 
I listened to a Facebook Live that Community Frontline did with her family, and I was struck by their bravery to talk about their sister. And as mayor, we have a responsibility to carry her legacy forward. Before we let you go in the short time we have left, what's your plan to help neighborhoods that may not have the newest and the biggest homes that really need some growth? Yeah. So I like to remind people, you know, I grew up uh, on a small family farm. I had no central air and heat as a kid and propane heaters. I had a party line, Julie, until I was 15 years old. Um, I did not come from affluence. And I want to recognize that your home is where it is in your neighborhood. I love this entire city. I've lived all over it since we got here. Um, and I want to recognize that every single person has a voice at City Hall that is equal. And the number one thing I think you do, Julie, is making sure City Hall is accessible to everyone. It's a little bit intimidating to come to City Hall. When I worked there, I always recognized people showed up for their two minutes with their script and they were nervous. We need to bring City Hall out into the community. Mayor Betsy Price did an amazing job, really focused on public engagement. It's imperative that we continue that legacy forward on mayor and council to make sure we are meeting Fort Worth residents in their communities and hearing them. That same front porch mentality that we've had in Fort Worth must continue. Fort Worth Mayor-elect Maddie Parker, thanks for joining us after a late night being here early with us. Appreciate it. Thank you all very much. Have a great Sunday. You too. Mayor-elect Parker will be seeing some new faces on the Fort Worth City Council, two longtime incumbents. Kellyanne Gray and Jungus Jordan were both defeated in runoffs last night. The area's third largest city, Arlington, also has a new mayor. Jim Ross defeated Michael Glaspie, and he's got one priority after he's sworn in, jobs. Arlington has done wonderful when it comes to this entertainment district and making Arlington sort of the, the center for entertainment here in the North Texas area but we have to do better at being attractive to entities that want to come and, and create jobs here in our city. Ross will replace Mayor Jeff Williams, who cannot run again because of term limits. The Dallas City Council will have a new look for the next year. Six runoffs were held. Two of the three incumbents in those runoffs won. Carolyn King-Arnold and Adam Balzaldua will return. But David Blewett lost to Paul Ridley in the race. For place 14. Gromer, new look for city council, also for Dallas Mayor Eric Johnson, who's been at odds with the current council. What does it all mean? It means that he's going to have to learn to count to eight. He's going to have to find a way to build a coalition on this new council so they'll be able to move the city forward and implement the agenda that he has and other council members have as well. So that's a big task for him considering the friction that we've seen the first half of his term. And a quick mention of history in Frisco. Angelia Pelham wins her runoff for city council place three. She will be the city's first black city councilwoman. Also in neighboring Little Elm, Curtis Cornelius wins. He will become that city's first black mayor. You can check out full runoff election results at NBCDFW.com. We shift gears back to the state legislature now. Last week, House Democrats walked out in the waning hours of the session, temporarily killing Senate Bill 7. That voting bill would have limited early voting hours, given poll watchers more power, and reduced the ways Texans could cast a ballot. Governor Greg Abbott has said the bill would be on the agenda again later this year when he calls a special session. Representative Chris Turner of Arlington is the chair of the House Democratic Caucus. Here he is with Julian Gromer. Arlington State Representative Chris Turner chairs the Democratic Caucus. He joins us now. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you for having me. It's good to be here. 
So the bill is dead, at least for now, but the governor has said he will call a special session with elections on the agenda. With Republicans in power, can you continue to stop this bill? Well, you, you know, House Democrats stood united to kill SB 7, uh, the uh, vote suppression anti-voter bill, uh, all throughout this legislative session, and, and it finally died on Sunday, second to last day of the session. Um, only the governor can decide what he's going to do with a special session. If he's going to put this uh, item on the agenda, um, then Democrats will be prepared to fight it once again. Uh, what I hope is that Republicans will realize the, the, the tremendous outcry across the state and across the country against these uh, repeated attacks on voters' rights simply cannot be tolerated and cannot stand. And I hope Republicans will come to their senses and agree that all people should be able to participate in, in, a, in a democracy and be able to have access to the ballot box and stop trying to interfere with people's ability to vote. All right, let's pull away the curtain a bit during the voting bill negotiations. Were you talking with the House Speaker and Republicans? What was happening that we don't really know about behind the scenes? Well, uh, there were some conversations with, uh, with, with Republicans, in addition to obviously a lot of conversations within our caucus. Um, one of the key things that we worked to do on Sunday uh, seeing that uh, Senate Bill 7 was set on the calendar for about 4.45 uh, that afternoon was uh, knowing that that bill, uh, whatever happened, uh, was going to take a long, long time. Uh, let's move some other bills that were behind it on the calendar ahead of it. Uh, so there was a grid reform bill uh, that had bipartisan support. We passed that. Some of the sunset bills that are very important to keep our state agencies running, we moved those ahead and passed those. Uh, importantly, a very key health care bill uh, that Representative Phil Cortez had worked on all session uh, to expand uh, some eligibility for CHIP and Medicaid for kids in Texas was moved ahead and voted that. So it was important to try to pass some bills that had some bipartisan support that needed to pass ahead of SB 7, knowing that we were going to get really bogged down on that bill uh, whenever it came up. And, that, and that's what happened. That's why it came up much later in the evening, which was a key part of us being able to kill it eventually. So, Representative, uh, let's be clear. Did did the House Speaker, the Speaker uh, feeling know that you guys were going to walk out? Did you kind of tip him off? I didn't tip him off. I, I think he knew that that was a possibility. I think uh, everyone knew that it was being discussed pretty actively. Um, and in, in what, what my concern was is that uh, Republicans were going to pull their own parliamentary maneuver uh, of cutting off debate on SB 7. Uh, that if that as we stretched it out into the night, because we debated the bill and a related resolution uh, for a couple of hours, um, but it was clear that Republicans were gathering the necessary signatures to force a debate to end and to force a vote on the bill, uh, and that was the time when we had no options left. Um, but look, you know, what I want to emphasize is this was a unified effort from uh, all 67 members of our caucus, um, and uh, all 67 members of our caucus were leaders on this. Uh, many members had left earlier in the evening, which paved the way really to, for the final uh, members to leave when the time uh, came at around 10.30, 10.45 Sunday night. So Representative, you say it was a unified effort, and indeed all members of the caucus were united against SB 7 and the House version. But it does appear that uh, you were divided on when and how to, to do the walkout or to do the quorum break. Has this issue fractured the caucus? No, not at all. Uh, you know, there was differences of opinion, as, as there always are in our caucus. We have a lot of uh, strong leaders uh, who have 
uh, strong opinions on, on ways to approach different situations. And so there were differences of opinion on the timing and the exact tactics. Uh, we worked through that as we worked through that, that type of thing every day. Uh, you know, so our caucus stood united uh, in opposing that bill with the mission to kill the bill, and that's what we did. Uh, I think the real story uh, is the Republican infighting right now, uh, where you see the, the governor uh, and the lieutenant governor pointing fingers at the speaker and a lot of blame being, being shared amongst the Republican office holders. Um, and, and I don't know what that means for the special session, uh, but they clearly have some real divisions in their party right now. So uh, state Democrats are appealing to federal lawmakers, even President Joe Biden, to get federal legislation on voting rights, but that could require removing the Senate filibuster, which some Democrats are reluctant to do. When you look back at the session, I mean, so what do you, what do you say, uh, Representative, about uh, removing the filibuster and getting help from federal Democrats on this voting rights issue? What I would say is that uh, in, in Texas, uh, Democrats in the House and Senate were prepared to do whatever it took to stop SB7, and that's what we did. Uh, we need our federal uh, senators, uh, legislators at the national level to do whatever it takes uh, to pass voting reform at the federal level because voters in Texas and elsewhere across the country need protection from the federal government against these suppressive laws that Republicans in Texas and Georgia and other states are trying to pass uh, in order to block people from voting. We, we need them to do whatever it takes. If that means getting rid of the filibuster, I think that's a small price to pay. You've been home about a week now. When you look back at the session, what do you believe were the biggest victories for Texans? Well, I'll tell you, uh, this was a legislative session where, uh, from my perspective, it's hard to find a lot of victories for uh, the people I represent. Uh, what, we, what, what didn't happen is we didn't expand Medicaid and we still have the highest rate of uninsured in the nation. I think we uh, did take some steps to address the, the electric grid and the historic uh, blackouts in, we had in February as a result of the winter storm, uh, but I don't think we went far enough. Uh, and uh, on issue after issue, it seems like common sense reforms that were needed like that took a back seat to partisan red meat issues that the Republican majority was determined to, to ram through. And you mentioned the power grid, and you say you didn't think that they went you, that the legislature the legislature went far enough. So what should happen then from here? Yeah, well, look, I, I think that we need to have uh, some direct assistance to the Texans who suffered. We did the, the legislature did a lot this session to reform the, the governance of P, the PUC, the Public Utility Commission, and ERCOT. That's needed. I supported those things. Uh, took some steps to require weatherization of facilities. That's needed. I support those things. But what the legislature did not do, and there were Democrat proposals to do this, is provide direct assistance to, to consumers who faced, faced high electric bills, uh, high natural gas bills, maybe lost water in their house and had home repairs, had to throw out all the food in the refrigerator. We have a lot of Texans who are out of pocket hundreds, even thousands of dollars as a result of the government's failure to protect our grid. We ought to provide some direct relief to those constituents and, and help them recover from the storm, not just help industry recover from the storm. Representative Turner, thanks so much for being with us. Thank you for having me. Good to be with you. Julie visited earlier this week with Texas Speaker of the House Dade Phelan, a Republican from Beaumont. To hear that conversation, check out our Lone Star Politics Extra posted on Tuesday. The voting bill wasn't the only headline-making piece of legislation this session. Republicans were successful in passing bills that ban most abortions after six weeks and allow the permitless carry of handguns. 
The legislature also made an effort to address the state's power grid in the aftermath of February's winter storm. Julian Gromer looked back on the 140-day session and talked about the next steps for each party. Let's continue our conversation on the breakdown of the legislature. Gromer, are we now looking at two special sessions? You know, the governor, when I talked to him last week, he was pretty coy on the subject. But I think there's no way, well, there is a way, but it's, it will be difficult to have a, a session on redistricting, a 30-day session on redistricting, which we expect will occur in the fall once the data comes in where you can draw these maps and a session where you're gonna do everything else that they wanna do, including elections, uh, bail reform, all the other things that they didn't get a chance to do at the end of this session, they're gonna to wanna to do that again. And I, I, I just believe that they'll have two sessions, probably one late June, early July, and then roll into the fall and have another session, uh, September, September, October, October. whenever the, the numbers come in. And, you know, we've known special sessions before that don't always go 30 days. Well, they, they typically go 30, but then they, they call another one, right? He, he has to call them back because they, time expires and, you, you know, you just can't get everything in. Or in they, that session. they finish if it's just one or two items. It can be quicker. Right. Yeah. You can sign a die at any point, you know. Do you, so, do you remember? I'm sorry to interrupt. No, but do you right. remember when Joe, um, it was Joe Strauss um signy die one night before right he called signy die one night before it was he was just done it was right. like 11 o'clock i believe that was the year of the so-called bathroom bill right exactly uh yeah so if you can if you can get your work done in in two days in three days yeah then you can the both chambers can adjourn signy die and it all be over but you know how it goes it's like the regular session they take time they file these bills they have hearings you know uh, if we're lucky, they have public input, and then it goes to through committee and to the floor. It's this floor to the floor. It's the same process, and it's like a, a test or or writing a, a paper or a report. Sometimes you know when it's due, and you wait until the last minute and you get it done. But that burned them at the end of the regular session. They would have had an elections bill had they started the process earlier, got the bill you know, uh, through the Senate, through the House, in conference, and then back through, through the Senate and the House in good shape and good well, time, but they didn't do that. It was like a perfect storm of everything that happened that really allowed Democrats to be able to do the walkout when they did it. it, it yeah, you're absolutely right. And it reminds me, remember, I mean, uh, years back, the Wendy Davis filibuster that temporarily brought down that, you know, anti-abortion bill that filibuster kind of launched her bid for governor. But what people don't remember is that lawmakers came back, had a special session, right. and actually it, ran, ran the bill through the legislature. And it was, I, now tell me, correct me if I'm wrong, um, but I feel like that special session, um, Governor Perry called them back immediately, like yes. a few days later, and I feel like it didn't go the full time. I feel like they just did that, got that through, and it was over. Yeah, I can't remember if it went the full time or not, but yeah, Abbott uh, and former Governor Rick Perry have had different styles in calling these special sessions. I can remember uh, the legislature adjourning sine die, 
and then uh, Rick Perry coming hours later saying, okay, you know, enjoy your little signy day parties, but you're coming back in a couple of days for a special session. And, and Abbott didn't do that this time. And, you know, I, you've spoken to the governor this week, but, you know, last week he was here and he talked about if there was a special session, it would be one item at a time. It certainly doesn't sound like that's going to be the case, going to be the case. Yeah, I think he was sort of flexing there. I, I mean, that's, that's how you know where you can get them to, to focus and do the work one at a time it's like it's like giving giving a, you know a child a task or something you know just do this and then come back and i'll give you something else to do and that's what he's basically basically was saying but if you're really going to have a special session you're probably going to put more than one agenda item on. Well, we know that um, elections will be on there, um, bail reform, uh, and it's. I think it's a question of what else will be on there. Yeah, and he's been been kind of coy and silent about what else he'll put on there. Uh, you know, uh, the lieutenant governor, Dan Patrick, wants some other things on there as well, things that they didn't get to at the end of the session, and we'll see if they'll be able to do that, sort of banning uh, taxpayer uh, funded lobbying, that sort of thing, the social media stuff where they're trying to rein in social media companies that kick, for instance, uh, President, uh, former President Trump off their platforms, trying to do legislation to address that. We'll see, though, what gets on the call and how many special sessions there are. So Representative Turner was interesting. You asked him a question about infighting within the Democratic caucus, and he turned it and discussed infighting within Republicans. I, you know, I, I mean, uh, you, you had the lieutenant governor saying that the House was poorly managed. I spoke to Speaker Phelan. He said that was not the case. And... and you, in the midst of all this, you have people talking about, like, Don Huffines yeah. primarying the governor. What's going on there? Well, they're politicians, so, you know, they're always going to be fighting, right, especially on the brink of this midterm election season. But, you know, there, there are problems emerging in both parties. You know, going back to the Democrats, there's a serious debate on how to fight Republicans here. You have new members like Jasmine Crockett out of Dallas who just came off the streets uh, you know, fighting against, you know, for social justice reform, the George Floyd movement and all that. She wanted to walk out much earlier uh, on the, you know, the initial SB7 proposal as it was making its way through the legislature. Now, uh, But if you did that... Yeah, you would have to be committed to leaving and leaving, leaving not the just state a few days, and a few weeks. That costs money and it costs time. But, and you, a lot of yeah, bills get lost right. along the way. But uh, what what Representative Turner didn't talk about is emerging from all this has been this what's been called a black-brown summit, and they feel like they, sh they should be the heartbeat of this fight for voting rights and all of that. So Turner's challenge as leader of the caucus is to get everybody on the same page, bring everybody together, and make sure nobody's being left out. Everybody's being thanked for their contributions. Notice he did that he today. He did that today. Yeah, I mean, that, I think that's a lesson he learned. But, uh, yeah, but you're going to have problems. And the Republicans are fighting because they're, they're getting people from the right. They don't want challenges from the right. And Lieutenant Governor Patrick wants some things, wanted some things out of the session he didn't get. Now, it was easy to blame, blame the Speaker right, but they should have got that legislation to the House way earlier than they did. You can't expect to send something, you know, the night before signing die 
and hope that it all goes well. And it did. And, and, and you just can't why did it, it get to that point that it got there so late because of the conference committee? Because I remember talking to Brian Hughes, like it had to be two weeks or a week and a half before Sonny died. And he said, I think we should have this ironed out by the end of the week. So clearly there were some issues in conference committee. Yeah, and, and, and also... Which there kind of right. always are issues well, to be hammered out. Also, this has been a session sort of where they had to maneuver through the pandemic and COVID-19. You had the winter storm stuff. They got started late on a lot of stuff, things, because they had to address the winter storm and they had to, to make sure that they were meeting safely and all of that because the pandemic, as you know, you know, it took a while from them for them to really get things humming. And because of those delays, you know, you had things like the election bill probably hitting the floor later than yeah. than than it would have been. But still, there's no excuse. You, if you want that bill to pass, you should get it out before, you know, hours, you know, before signing die. I mean, you just can't say, OK, we got it to your house and then blame the speaker when Democrats walk out. I think that's you know, kind of unreasonable. But we'll see. That, that's, they, they'll fight it out. It's the big three. You know, and Abbott, he's, he's threatening their money. He's, trying to, he's messing with their dollars, Julie, there, threatening the veto of our, our Article 10. You know, uh, the and that would be, stuff, and, you know. and you have to understand, that's not just lawmakers. That's staff. That's staff. That's, you know, that's, that's a lot of people. It's not just like the lawmakers won't get their money. It's that, you know, people that, the yeah. staff and the people that keep the place going. It's a power move by the governor. And what he's saying is, okay, you didn't get it done. I'm going to make sure you get it done because if you don't, you're not going to get paid. Your staff is not going to get paid. So expect, you talk about how long will a special session last, expect them to work. That's why I think it will, it'll be more than one. They will work to get these agenda items passed, to get the governor's emergency items passed, because they don't want their folks and their staff to face not being paid. Before I let you go, speaking of the Republican Party, Alan West. Yeah. Uh, what was it, 11 months? Not quite a year. It wasn't uh, long. Yeah. Because he, uh, you know, he, he, no, he won last summer. Right. Right, yeah. So keep this in mind. He, he made a career. He made his name for being a representative of congressman for Florida. It's always it's, it's interesting that he was able to move to Texas and get elected chairman of the Texas Republican Party. To me, that is amazing. Well, the name and, recognition from Florida to Texas. Exactly. But he was here for a couple of years before he ran, and he's very vocal. He's very vocal, but this all appears to be heading toward a campaign for governor. He's been a critic of Governor Abbott. We'll see if it does, but, I, you know, you spend 11 months or whatever it was on the job. Clearly, He's using, he was using it as a, as a stepping stone to something else, but we'll see if he actually gets in there. So who do you think, and I, get your crystal ball, right. who do you think uh, takes the helm of the Republican Party? Oh, I, I yeah. don't know. Yeah, it, I mean, it, it, you know, these parties, though, Julie, they are so, it's not like the, the, the Republican Party uh, of Illinois or the Cook County uh, Democratic uh, Committee there. They don't have a whole lot of power. The power is in the elected officials and the organizations of the elected officials. And I'm talking about both parties. 
the Democratic, Texas Democratic Party and the Texas Republican Party. But if you look at the Republican Party, they haven't been that powerful. The grassroots organization of the Republican Party has basically is not as stout as, say, Greg Abbott's grassroots organization. And so it isn't like, you know, it's a big, powerful position anyway. You know, you, you get some name it's recognition. A you, it's a platform. You do some interviews, but it's not like you go and, and tell these elected officials what to do. It's not that kind of position. It's, it's largely ceremonial, and it's a way to, to interact with the grassroots, from a Republican point of view, the most conservative members of, of the Texas, Texas Republican Party. But it's not a powerful position. You know, we, we didn't have a special in 19. We had one in 17. Yep. I, I'm tired, Gromer. Are you tired? Yeah, we, we got a special coming up, and we got redistricting. We got the midterm elections on the horizon. It's not going away. Uh, you know, we've been, ever since a certain point, since you've gotten here, Julie, it's been just constant work. Constant, I'm sure it's busy. a coincidence. And that's what it is. I mean, Julie Fine moves to Texas and all of a sudden everything, you know, everything goes overboard. It's just news all over the place. But Well, there is nobody I would rather do news it's, with than you. Exactly. Same I mean, here. this is the best partnership one could ask for. Uh, I, I totally agree. All right. We'll see you all next week. Thanks to Fort Worth Mayor-elect Maddie Parker and State Representative Chris Turner for joining the show this week. For full election results and to stay up to date with everything related to Texas politics, visit NBCDFW.com. We'll talk to you next week.